Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Anyway, we're not here to talk about home brewing woes. We're here to talk. You are talking about, about yeast, though. We are talking about yeast. <laughs> we are talking about lager yeast, specifically. Just kidding. I know it specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to this episode of False Bottom Girls. And Rachel and I have been dicking around this Saturday morning for like 45 minutes. Yes. um, Because we haven't talked to each other in a couple of weeks. So these are also hangout sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to wake up. Actually, I'm pretty good right now. I've been up for a while. I got tea. I've had... So many liquids, so many pills, <laughs> vitamins, things I take to deal with other people and myself. Right. <laughs> mostly myself. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's definitely mostly other people. Mostly other people, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, uh, we are not talking about our dicking around home brewing or yeah. other people woes today. We are here to talk about lager yeast. And I've been very excited to talk about this not the entire thing but sometimes I just get like one or two things that it's like the kid talking about dinosaurs that I just want to tell people about yeah (laughs) Um, so that I texted Rachel and was like listen I'm really feeling doing this episode on lager yeast but then when I started to like work on the outline I was like actually I really just have like two anecdotes that I (laughs) I just really want to tell stories (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's actually why I started this whole podcast was to tell stories Right. And I just put all these other extra things in to buff it for you. Right. Listeners. Yes. And I did That's see true. the other day earlier this week on my in my Facebook memories was us posting about how our, we were going to have this new podcast. And that was like four years ago. Can you believe it? It's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't even know how many episodes it is. Um, I have no clue. I number them, uh, but I have misnumbered them at least three times. So <laughs> I don't know either. That's like, okay. If that's like my brew matches and, and, and count all of them. That's fine. I think we're around like 90. It's we're ridiculous. Almost to 100 episodes. And we still have so much more we can talk about. So much more. It's crazy. This is why, this is why you should not go so hard on yourself when you're studying for Cicerone or studying beer because it's never ending, especially right. with all the new things coming out just new ways to utilize hops new ways to do literally everything so right i love it it's a whole new world every year you just get new things so right you can never escape us we'll be talking forever i mean you could just not listen (laughs) no but don't do that keep listening we've got some gems it will get better i promise No, it's very much a Dunning-Kruger effect, like the opposite of how most people are aware of that. But, you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Oh, for sure. And that's 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 what happens when you study for advanced and then you study for master. You're like, I know nothing. Right. What am I even doing in beer? (laughs) Totally just quit. Right. And (laughs) even when we were going through this outline, uh, just now getting ready for the yeah. this episode it was like oh yeah we didn't even talk about this or we didn't even talk about that and like yeah. that's part of why doing this or teaching people or even being like me and just making yourself little powerpoints is so good because you have to keep going like going backwards like you're talking to like a five-year-old it's like because why because yeah. why because well, teaching is the best way to learn like my husband the pilot he said that when he was done flight school the first job they do is to go teach other people to fly which sounds very backwards right (laughs) does that sound like a good idea at all yeah I guess you find out pretty quickly if they're good at teaching people how to fly or not (laughs) (laughs) but I've noticed that even at the brewery like if we have like a guest brew day and one of the people that you know maybe they've brewed with like someone that works at pilot, maybe they've brewed with me a handful of times or on their own a handful of times. But when they go to teach somebody else, it's like a whole new level of understanding they'll achieve within that one day, just because they've forced to explain it. And then maybe they catch 
like something that they didn't catch before. Right. Or, or learn something. Right. And I know, I, I think I brought this up on the, I just need to stop saying that I think I've brought this up before because I more than likely have, but that was something when I first started doing beer education at pilot that I was doing like a beer 101 and was, I think I was talking about malting or something and somebody who was in the class was like, okay, so like if it's floor malted, that makes dark beer and was trying to understand. And because I hadn't laid a good foundation for people who were completely new to beer, I just went into like, here's malt, here's hops. And then I was like, okay, so beer has four ingredients, malt, hops, (laughs) water, and yeast. And I just made a slide on that. And I put that slide in the beginning of every presentation I do about like about beer or beer flavor because it's like, if you, if you already know that, great, you just have to listen to it for one slide. And if you don't know it, then you've got that context for the rest of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you only really learn that when you're talking, when you're trying to present that to other people and realizing like, oh yeah, I did skip some of these foundational steps because like, I just know this at this point, but I didn't always know it. I had to learn it too. And this yeah. is the opportunity for other people to learn it. And that's kind of how it is with lager geese, like going through this outline was like, oh yeah. And oh yeah. Oh, exactly. And that needs so, to be in there. So this outline is basically get it. We should just name the episode Logger 101 <laughs> is what we should do because this is a foundation of lager yeast. There's so many rabbit holes that you could go down with lager yeast. We can't cover all that. There's so many different types of lager yeast that we're not going to cover. There's hundreds of strings of different types of lager yeast you can get from different suppliers. We're talking about the main properties of lager yeast, the main flavor profiles, the main fermentation differences, um, a little bit about some lager yeast string differences in the type of lager yeast, but again, not in the all the hundreds of types. When I go say the Feinstefander lager yeast or the Carlsberg lager yeast or the anchor steam. Five more lager yeast. Not lager yeast, but <laughs> <laughs> name five more. <laughs> uh, I guess. Uh, yes. High Thank pressure lager yeast. Charlie Papazian's lager yeast. That's a real lager yeast. Can <laughs> I tell bubble. you that I, when I lived in Chicago, we had this uh, brew pub that I'm putting in quotes. <laughs> that opened down the street from us and it was uh the big hurt which is um i think his name is frank thomas sorry if you're sports people listening uh, it was a baseball player i think a baseball player whose <laughs> name was the big hurt so it was his brewery Got right? it. or like his brew pub and we went fairly soon after it opened because it was also like a, a near west suburb of chicago so there wasn't like a ton of places to go and we get there and it's one of those places where like it's like it was just a money-making thing mm-hmm. like they had some of like maybe like two big hurt beers and then it was like you could order like the towers of like miller light and stuff yeah. like that and on the menu because we go in and you know we're like always decked out in three different brands of beer <laughs> yeah. or yeah. ingredients or something and like we're like we're homebrewers <laughs> and I was like, oh, like this wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Like the food was very like, um, what is the name? Like Cisco, like yeah. you know, like where like you just go to like a stadium and yeah, yeah, like, like this a fried kind of food, yeah, yeah just sports bar food, right? Exactly, yeah. yes. And I was like, I don't think this is really like a brew pub. And so I'm looking at the beer list, and they have Sam Adams Lager listed. Okay. L O G G E R logger. <laughs> yes. And I was just like, well, I've seen everything I need to see. It's a logger. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a little history. That's not one of the anecdotes I wanted to tell, but it was one that I remember seeing and being <laughs> like, ooh, this credibility is a little undermined. so Rachel tell me about the differences between ale yeast and lager yeast 
So we are talking about two main types of brewing yeast and uh, that we know as brewers. There is wild yeast as well, but that is for a different conversation. Uh, ale yeast and lager yeast are going to be your fermenting strains for those two specific styles, right? So ale yeast is what I'm not going to say like brewers knew of in the beginning, but ale yeast was more it almost used in a string of wild yeast. I know this is kind of confusing, but people were inoculating with the air, right? So they're getting ale type yeast. They're not getting lager type yeast in the air, even though they're getting like a wild ferment also. But this is what was the common use in the beginning of brewing time. And no, and, and remember, nobody knew what yeast was, right? This was just the, the good stuff that came out of the brew that you would use for the next brew to get your, your guy going. Right. So it produced all these fruity aromas. I mean, a whole sorts of array of flavors and aromas, depending on, you know, where you're getting this open ferment from. And even then, you know, once you start, like I, I say, like monk brewing, once we started brewing in monasteries and they would take yeast from different monasteries and they would share it. And like, if Westmall was going to brew that day, they drive up to a kel to get the yeast to pitch it. They're all sharing this ale string. Um, because it was easy, it would ferment at a warmer temperature. Now, you know, lager yeast is, I'm trying to figure out the best way to segue in the most easy way to understand possible. Lager yeast was more of a discovery after the fact. Help me out here, like, Dan. Dude. <laughs> Due to like just different regions of yeah, beer was being brewed. Yeah, I think so, that's a really good way to put it. There's a regionality, like weather-wise, yes. to what yeast thrive. Sorry, I should not say thrive. I have really started to fucking hate the word thrive. <laughs> uh, but where like ale yeast does well versus yeah. where lager yeast does well. Yeah, exactly. So everyone's just using what they have available towards them, right? We have a region like Germany, which is going to have cold areas, which we have these cellar caves, which they have figured out this yeast works better when it's cold. We're still not in like at, you know, there's still a time in history where no one really knows what yeast is, but now we do. And we're talking about these two different strains. So ale yeast is known first and that's Saccharomyces cerevisiae. That is the Latin name for it. And then, Lager yeast has a couple names, um, one being Saccharomyces pastorianus. Did I say that right? Probably not. And Pastorianus. That was Pastorianus. That is named, comes from Louis Pastor. Yes, Louis is, Pastor. And we'll me, get into that in history. but Yes, but I quickly, because I'm so excited about this fact. We will talk about my boy, Emil Christian Hansen, in a little bit. He is one of my favorite people in brewing, and he does not get enough attention. But he is the one that at Carlsberg was able to isolate single strain and the like and single strain, specifically lager yeast. And he named it Pastorianus or the strain that he named Pastorianus was the strain that he thought was the worst because he fucking hated Louis Pasteur. Yeah. And was I like, I don't this strain is not I forgot as about good as the other one. So I'm going to name it after Louis Pasteur because <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Whatever. Like, I remember hearing that story from uh, Dr. Simpson. And I have like one other person who loves Emil Christian Hansen as much as I do. And I it, like, I immediately like sent him a DM and was just like, you're the only person I know who's going to enjoy this as much as I do. And he was just like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> well, all he did was confuse newcomers learning about yeast right, <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah like that's like else. a yeah like <laughs> lager lager history like 401 is when you learn when you start to get the tea on uh how much how like the interpersonal relationships yeah so yeah hey, look, Pastorianus people... in Emil Christian Hansen's view was the worst lager yeast well I mean just think about yourself and how you interact with people and these days like everyone has their stories about like maybe why they did something i mean i know sometimes i plan events just to piss people off right yeah <laughs> exactly yeah i um one of my favorite stories i've heard from somebody who's going through the cicerone program right now is that she got her certified cicerone out of spite 
Oh yeah. Because somebody talked down to her and was like, well, I'm a certified beer server. So she was like, I went home that night. I looked it up. I passed the certified beer server. And then I got my certified sister <laughs> purely out of spite. Yeah. yeah. So much of, so much, many of my accomplishments in life truly are spite based. If I, yeah. if I really go right? back so, in the history of it. So history was no different, right. but anyway, so lager yeast is actually a hybrid between a, a type of ale yeast and then a cold tolerant uh, another species of yeast. And I'm not going to go into all of that DNA and science of where that comes yeah, it's from. Like a, it's definitely a family tree kind of thing. Yeah. Like this it's came kind, from this. It's kind of like fungal hops. Right. All hops stem from fungal hops. Right. It's, like, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yes. But it's kind of like, you know, the evolution of the man as well, or the person, I should say. They all stem from just one little molecule. Right. But anyways, longer yeast also this the term longer comes from the fact that the yeast itself needs to ferment or longer as in store and uh, cold storage for weeks or maybe even months to fully develop its flavor so longer can have a couple different meanings we're talking about loggering something to store it i know we've talked about this before but then we're talking about different types of yeast too right so if you yeah. ever uh hear someone say well i'm loggering the beer that means they're cold storing it most right. likely Right. Yes. You can lager a lager. You can lager an ale. Exactly. Exactly. But you can't ale a lager. <laughs> I um, guess you could. It wouldn't. Well, you couldn't. It really wouldn't taste very good. Well, the flavor profiles of lager yes. are going to be a lot more cleaner, crisp than ale. And when, as we as we talk about the fermentation temperature, we'll talk about a little bit why that is. But we're talking about typically beers that are lighter typically in color not always can be darker in color there's always just style uh, exceptions to the rules right there's baltic porters made with lager yeast right yeah. there's color things that can pretty, get big yeah it's, it's pretty independent alcoholic of the lager. yeah exactly there are dark munich lagers that can still be very light and bodied but maybe dark in color or amber but you know when people do think of lagers they do tend to think of mass produced yellow fizzy beer right right Yes, that's an excellent point. But there's still, a lot like, more to 95 that. Ninety-five percent of the beer consumed in the world is mass-produced lager. It's true, it's, and it's lighter in color. It's more mild tasting. It's going to be more malt, uh, more malt forward, not super hoppy. Uh, generally lower in the alcohol level. You know, four to six, maybe ABV six and a half. There's always exceptions, like we've said. Um, typically they're going to be a little bit smoother, less estuary than ales. They're going to have more clean, approachable flavor profile. Um, they take on more of malt and hop flavors than yeast. So for example, you know, ales or Belgian beers or maybe Hefeweizen beers are going to have a lot of yeast profile, whereas lager, you're not going to really get that. At least you right. don't want to. Right. If you get a yeast profile in your lager, then something has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I, and we'll talk particularly about like the crispness and why that is, because I find clean and crisp to be very vague kind of descriptors. Yeah. Um, the crispness can be explained by the, the sugars that lager yeast will metabolize that ale yeast won't. My thing with clean, and this is a very brief diversion, but the concept in like Euro colonial societies of clean came out or stemmed from the plague. Mm -hmm. And it's a very mm -hmm. free of bacteria, I, basically. Well, it's I learned this last year and it was something that I had never really thought of that. I'm that this is where when I'm when I say like descriptive language needs to be more encompassing. Clean means different things in different cultures. So in Europe during the plague, things like lemons and, uh, you know, like lavender and cotton, those were used, those were thought to clean things. So if you smelled that, then it was clean. And that's not, that doesn't translate across cultures. Mm -hmm. In some cultures, clean is like musk. Yeah. And so it can, clean means different things. And that's yeah. something that uh, Dr. Simpson talks about a lot is that, you know, one one flavor should have one description yeah and like one word for every flavor one flavor for every word and for me clean and i use it all the time so i'm like i'm, I'm definitely not villainizing anyone who says clean 
But oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like learning that fact was something that got me thinking like, exactly. Okay, so what role? So like that was something that hadn't occurred to me. And we always talk about like loggers as being clean because they're free from smell. Exactly. But that might not be the same in yeah. other cultures. And I haven't quite connected all of those threads yet. But I think that clean as a descriptor, once you kind of get into that history of it, yep. is a very vague. Well, uh, Biscuit was another really good example Biscuit. that he told us. So we took the same class is why we keep referring to we and talking to Dr. Simpson, but um, right. yeah, because biscuit in England is like a biscuit here is a you know morning fluffy bojangles doughy bojangles piece of bread, whereas a biscuit there is hard, more like a cookie. It is a cookie, yeah, it is a cookie. Like and that biscoff that you get in the airplanes mm-hmm. would that be like a good um of? kind of yes? Maybe it's a little... like a biscuit is almost like just like a shortbread. Yes, that's a better okay. way. That's better. Yeah. That's very different. Right. So so sometimes when you're saying the flavor descriptor biscuity, that can mean something different if you're from England versus here. Right. In which case yeah. you look to the style you're talking True. about. And if it's most of the time that's going to come up in the context of like an English style yeah. beer, in which case we're talking about like a digestive biscuit. Yeah. Because I don't think I would want to taste a beer that tasted like a Bojangles biscuit. No. I mean, that would just be diacetyl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yes, uh, that was a a digression about the concept of clean. But since learning that and thinking about that, I have tried to move away from using clean and instead say, like, this is free of esters, free of phenols. Yeah. And that's because a, be- way that's a little way more universal. It. And that's yeah. what we're talking about, too. We're talking right. about lager yeast. We're not talking about like a kitchen that was just cleaned. Um, right. And even crisp, I feel kind of the same way as you do about clean, because typically when I think of crisp, it, with the exception of, you know, the type one, I believe type one eating multi trios or no, that was mm-hmm. type two. But um, I think of a, a hoppier beer, like a Pilsner almost, like like something that has more of a hop character, which might not be like not everyone's going to think of that i think i think that just comes from years of working at this you know beer bar when i first started learning about beer and it was like oh you know pilsners are just gonna be a little bit more crispier have a little bit more bite than lager and like that's how i would explain it to the customer Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true either it's just a different way of actually just saying clean (laughs) right yeah well yeah crisp is kind of like an absence of sugars yeah but it's also easier for i think the clean and crisp is a good descriptor when you are talking to somebody like the general public because at least when you're talking to somebody in the general public in the united states culture clean and crisp they understand Mm -hmm. like we have a common understanding of what that means whereas if uh, the same customer i'm not going to say well, it doesn't have any esters or phenols and it has a lower sugar content because they're going to be like, what the fuck does that mean? Exactly. So for those of us listening to the podcast, when you're doing descriptive language in a technical sense, I think it's more correct to say it's free of these things rather than saying clean and crisp. This if is you're also, talking to the general public. You yeah. communicate with people where with them where they are in their beer education. This is also a really good kind of like our, what we're talking about is a good kind of lesson about if you're taking the advanced exam you get um, part of the test is you'll get a sample of beer and they're like, okay, write a description for a consumer. And then another part of the test, you'll get another example of beer and they'll say, write a description for your, your brewer friend for a professional. And what we just did is the difference between those two. So if you need a little practice or want a little example of how that part of the test goes, boom. Right. That is an excellent point. Thank you. Sometimes I have those. You always have those. You're made <laughs> up of excellent points. <laughs> All right, so, moving on. You want to? Yes. Let's talk about um, brewing with lager yeast. More so, specifically, fermenting, because as right. we were talking about this, we were like, man, not a lot of differences. But go ahead and tell us what you know the brewing differences. Yeah. So that that is, you know, we were we were looking through this outline. And we were like, oh, we don't really have anything about brewing, and then it's like, well, but there's not like you you can use the exact same ingredients to make an ale or a yeast historically for lager brewing they would do decoction and that was really that wasn't 
because of lager brewing. It was because of the modification levels of their barley. True. And same for like the in English style brewers have always done, or I shouldn't say always, but do a single infusion, um, which for something like an ale that works pretty well. You've got a pretty big window in there. Um, so you can like your mashing regimen can be the same. And also, but to add, it can be very brewery um, preference. Like when I worked at mm-hmm. Left Hand, they did step, this is right. Yeah. Step mash for Pilsner and decoction for Oktoberfest. They did not need to, in my opinion, but right. you know, I am, that is not my choice, yeah. but I don't, yeah. I, I believe that with every beer these days because of how well our mash is or are modified, but something you can do if you want right. to. Right. And someday we really need to record the presentation we did at HomebrewCon about milling and mashing because we go into oh, mashing it, quite a bit. It. We have it. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. We should. It's yeah, all ready so, to go too. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the biggest difference is when it comes to brewing with ale yeast or brewing an ale versus brewing a lager is going to be your fermentation. So your knockout temperature is going to be lower for your lager because Lager yeast is going to ferment at a temperature of about 50 to 65. It, it's strain dependent. So it will tell you, you know, like on your, if you go buy a packet of white labs, it will tell mm-hmm. you what the the range is for temperatures available. And ale yeast, of course, is going to be a little bit higher. So one of the things that when we were talking about like a lot of the things that make lager yeast, lager yeast is going to be because of that lower fermentation time. It's going to be free of esters and phenols because you're keeping your temperature lower. The higher your temperature, the more esters and phenols you're going to get because the more stressed your yeast is going to be. So because we're um, because we're fermenting at a lower temperature, you're not going to get that ester or phenol development. And also, like Rachel said, like the lager yeast is has been selected to not have those characteristics anyway. Uh, so if you get a lot like an estery lager, something something has gone wrong in your fermentation process. Yeah. yeah just to be clear, like yeast will ferment higher. Like, like. Yes. Don't be like, oh, look at my lager. Like, I, it will go, it will ferment at 70. Yes, it will. It very much wants to. <laughs> That's all right. it wants to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you said want the- to control it. Right. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. And you, you've definitely said before <laughs> that the yeast does not care about your beer. The yeast no, is no. just trying to survive. survive. <laughs> yeah. And it does that by reproducing and excreting esters and phenols. And the higher the temperature, the faster that goes. Right. That's why we control the time with the temperature. Right. One of the reasons why lager yeast is described as crisp is because it can ferment the sugar melabios, which ale yeast does not. So the crispness descriptor comes from that metabolism ability and the like the cooler temperatures is where the clean, like the free of esters and phenols comes from. When you're brewing with an ale yeast versus a lager yeast, you don't need as many cells. So for lager yeast, you're going to have a larger pitch. You're going to want to pitch more cells because you're fermenting at cooler temperatures. And like Rachel said, like it wants to ferment warmer and you're kind of artificially keeping that down. Yeah. And so you need more cells to do the same amount of work as what you would could accomplish with an ale yeast. Basically, I'm going to say this analogy because Emily told us this once when we did a podcast with her um, on enzymes, but Basically, you have a bunch of workers and they're really, really cold. So they need and they move slower because they're cold. So they need more resources to do their work or more food to go to do their work because they're so cold. I like that. Basically, yes. picture yourself in Antarctica and someone's like, can you please go outside and dust the snow? And you're like, well, I'm going to need yeah, I'm going to need like three more people to help me. <laughs> Dust the snow and a bunch yeah. of jackets. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that is Emily Wong from Firmly. Definitely yes. check out that. that so smart. Way more smart than I just explained. Like, like <laughs> Way more smart than that way, sentence. Way more was. smart than that sentence that just came out of my mouth was. Very smart. Very yes. smart. So with, <laughs> with off flavors, one of the things to keep in mind is that the cleanup takes longer. 
for lagers because we're at that cooler cooler temperature. So like Rachel said, like the yeast isn't going to be as quick to clean up. And we talked about doing uh, like a diacetyl rest in our episode on diacetyl. So you can go and go back and listen to that. But this is kind of a, a footnote to that is why you need to do a diacetyl rest with lagers and sulfur production is more prevalent in lagers. And one of the things that is so interesting for me is this is another thing in brewing science that they have not explained yet. They cannot, they don't know. And I say they, as in the science community, does not know why lager yeast will produce something like H2S at higher levels. Um, they don't know quite what that metabolic pathway looks like for that creation. But sulfur production is going to be more, uh, and maybe even it's just like it's more noticeable in lagers because of the absence of everything else. And as humans, we are extremely sensitive to sulfur compounds. So mm -hmm. think about like skunk mm -hmm. or rotten eggs or, you know, burnt match. Um, those are all things that we've just evolved to be very attuned to. With DMS, that's, that, this can also be a problem, which is why in some things, uh, like in some loggers, it will say light amount of DMS is acceptable. And it's not because it necessarily adds anything to the flavor, but it's just a like, we have to allow for this because it's going to happen. It's almost impossible to get rid of. Yeah. Right. Right. So about 50% of DMS gets cleaned up in ales, but only about 25% in loggers, just because you have the less vigorous fermentation due to those lower temperatures. And then also lagers, not all the time, but if you're doing like a Pilsner with a bunch of Pilsner malt, this is a whole nother like topic conversation, but Pilsner malt will produce more of the precursor. Mm -hmm. I should say it, they all produce the same amount of precursor, but in theory, but it get less gets cleaned up in the kilning process. So Pilsner malt spends the less amount of time, the least amount of time in the heat leaving more precursor for SMN. So loggers are really getting a double whammy of mm -hmm. DMS almost in that sense, if you're using like a bunch of Pilsner malt. Um, so not, you know, that's yes, a really good point. That's just a, a part of that can happen in the brewing part that doesn't have to do with the fermentation, but it can just be more because of that. Right. So then when we're talking about lager yeast, and this is I don't even know if this is something that like maybe we would get a point for knowing this on the master exam. So if this is the first time you're hearing of type one and type two lager yeast, don't freak out about it. But there are two main types of lager yeast. So type one, and this was the one that was isolated by my boy, Emil Christian Hansen in 1833. The type one lager yeast doesn't ferment maltotriose very well. The beers that use type one lager yeast are Budweiser and Heineken. And this, you'll get a few esters and other aromatic compounds. So like if you've ever had Heineken in a can, it's got like a lot of isoamyl acetate in it. Like it's very, like it is estery. Um, but so this is, is there's going to be higher residual sugar, higher SO2, higher ethyl butyrate. And that maybe that's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking isoamyl. So ethyl butyrate will be like canned pineapple. And this is known as the prima donna yeast because it's really hard to work with, which is interesting that like someplace like Budweiser uses this really hard to work with yeast since like the mass production yeah. is, is their whole thing. Um, and then type two was isolated at Heineken in 1866. This is the type that is used most today. So this is also can be like the um, Fine Stefaner yeast is is like one of the ones, one of the names that it goes by. So this is, you'll have better attenuation. This is known as like a workhorse. So it's the prima donna yeast versus the workhorse yeast. So the type two yeast will ferment, ferment maltotriose. It has lower sulfur level levels, better attenuation, and these are different hybridization events. So they separated about 500 years ago. Um, and then strain H is for the, the Czech Pilsners. Interesting thinking about like, here's, you know, like Budweiser and Heineken are the two that use type one lager yeast. Any other uh, like mass produced lager, like uh, industrial lager is going to use type two. So the top beers in the world, the top selling 
the 20 top selling beers by volume, 18 of those are made with type one and type two, there's only two mass produced lagers made with type two, which also makes sense if you think about like the entire catalog of Budweiser, right? Mm -hmm. and, and who was able to scale up and mass produce. Um, so that's the difference between type one and type two lager yeast. It's, you know, that's just a, like, that's just a fun thing to know about them and to know that Budweiser and Heineken both use this prima donna yeast that's going to be slightly more estery than type two. And most of the other industrialized beers are going to use the type two. So, and that's also, you know, I wonder then if part of the whole like Beechwood aging with Budweiser to get the yeast to yeah. flocculate. More. Maybe that's why. Yeah. I wonder if it is a type one thing that would make sense. Makes so much if sense. it's a little more estuary that you would need to add something. Throw that into your master's uh, essay. Yeah. Well, pretty sure that they use the Beechwood because they have a type one yeast string. Right. And <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, let's do a little bit of history, which we've already kind of incorporated some of yeah. the history in here. But one of the things that I like about lager yeast is they they also don't know where it came from. One place they found lager yeast or where lager yeast might originate is in Beechwood forests in Argentina and Patagonia. And so if you're thinking about Patagonia is in South America, how did lager yeast get to someplace like Germany? to be used. And like Rachel said at the beginning, you know, it, it wasn't until it's only been the past, what, like 150 years. I don't know what year it is. And I also don't know how math works, but it wasn't until the late 1800s that we had one, we knew what yeast was exactly Two, we could isolate specific strains for brewing. So that hasn't been around that long. And up until then, you know, people like Rachel said, like, it's kind of like yeah. the scientific method. Like if you liked the beer that got produced from this thing, then you used the slurry. Yeah. Then you to do I that. mean, the 1860s, the current theory was that sugar and liquid plus air caused right. spontaneous uh, fermentation of yeast and bacteria. Right. right, exactly. So they have traced this Saccharomyces eubanius yeast to Patagonia. And it is this like this article that I read said that it's, they've, <laughs> Traced it specifically to some rather gross looking round orange colored galls that infect <laughs> beech trees there. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. So that's <laughs> it's, you know, it hybrid it was that strain was, and this is kind of the family tree that we were talking about a little bit earlier, but that strain was hybridized with the domestic yeast. And then that's what how we got our our ale yeast or our lager yeast strains. And that's one of the things that they say, and I think there was something more recent about this too, about discovering um, more information about how lager yeast may have originated in Patagonia. So one of the things that they caution about is it may not have originated in Patagonia. Patagonia is just the first place they found it mm -hmm. so far. Yeah. But it's, it's thought right now to have been that, that's where they found it. That's where they've yeah. been able to trace it back. And just, you know, just because somebody hasn't found it doesn't mean it doesn't exist other places or it didn't come from other places. But they think it's, you know, it might be like a stowaway yeast. It may have come over on a piece of wood or like a, the stomach of a fruit fly, which I think like, can fruit flies live that long to travel across the ocean? Maybe I, they I hitched a ride on a boat or something. Yeah, but like even then, it's not like you could get across the ocean. It was like a three month journey. But anyway, I don't know. They they think <laughs> that because of colonization, that's yeah. that's how the the Saccharomyces eubanius came to Europe and then was hybridized to make our lager yeast. And we've talked a lot about like lager brewing in Bavaria in Bohemia, so you can go listen to those episodes. But in Bavaria is really where the lager yeast started to become used, like Rachel said, due to the weather, due to caves, you know, access to caves and stuff. Then we'll get to Louis Pasteur. And Louis Pasteur has done a lot of things, but one of the for relevant for our podcast. Yeah. He also showed that yeast was responsible for fermentation. 
And this was, you know, this was a huge, huge discovery because like we've said, like people thought yeast could have been all sorts of things. They thought it was like spontaneous death. Um, or like spontaneous creation from death, you know, like it's you, you see the world around you and try to explain it with the tools you have at your disposal. And that was, you know, a, like a, a valid explanation until Louis Pasteur was able to show that no, it's specifically yeast causing fermentation. Yeah, he was able to show it with the swan neck theory, I believe. Yes. And that yes. is not to get into a super sidetrack but that is basically he put some wort into a vessel that had a fancy blow off tube that was u-shape showing that air couldn't get in to infect that or to ferment the thing so no fermentation happened showing that it was not the air right you could look that up yes but yeah, and then we've got, we've already talked about my boyfriend, Emil Christian Hansen, <laughs> um, who, by the way, is cousins with Anton Dreyer from the, of what? the, right? You love him too. How are you going to choose? Listen, Emil Christian Hansen <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Anton Dreyer is a thief, <laughs> but in the, in the buddy film that somebody will make for me about Gabriel Siedlmeyer and Anton Dreyer, Emil Christian Hansen is going to pop in and be like, what's up, cuz? I've got the single strain yeast. So they were cousins. Uh, but yeah, so he developed the, the pure culture techniques and also started yeast banking. So he did this at Carlsberg. And this is why I sent Rachel a text the other day saying, I'm really feeling like we need to go to Copenhagen for uh, a nice I see, trip. I see. Uh, so I can fan out over Emil Christian Hansen and also the Carlsberg Brewery. Because yes. the, the Carlsberg family really did some amazing things. So one of their philosophies was that yeast should be free to yeah. everyone so you could go and i think you still can go to the carlsberg brewery and get this pure strain of lager yeast and they would oh give gosh. it to whoever whoever showed up and wanted it would get would get the strain uh, which is also part of the reason why you know like lager brewing took over as like an industrial rather than ale okay so we need to have a place with a refrigerator and then we need to find a good way to bring the yeast home on the airplane Keep it cold. Got dry it. ice, maybe. Dry ice. Dry yeah. ice thing. Yeah. All right. Got it. No problem. Yeah. Lager yeast became more popular on a commercial scale with the invention of artificial cooling. Suddenly, you didn't need to have caves or basements to ferment your beer at lower temperatures. You had refrigeration. And like refrigeration, glass, those are two giant things that I think people forget about often for the roles that they play. And things like the industrial revolution and how we how macro loggers became macro loggers in recent years so this like this year and every year is like this is the year of the craft lager when the craft beer brewing movement really started in the united states for a very very long time like up until probably like the last four or five years you would get an ale when you went into a brewery you craft breweries were not making lagers because traditional lager brewing requires more equipment. So you need more space. You also need more time, right? Because mm -hmm. the our fermentation for a lager can be up to 21 days versus like 10 days for an ale. And if you're a craft brewer, Rachel, I'm sure you can attest, like you can't really afford to have a lot of beer sitting around that you can't sell. So no. you have like lagering tanks. You need to, you know, be able to keep your supply up while that beer is lagering. And things like lagering tanks take up a lot of room. And those are going to be horizontal tanks for lagering because you've got the larger surface area um, that's going to help it like clear up uh, mm -hmm. a, a lot faster. But within the last few years, they have, uh, or yeast manufacturers have developed high pressure lager yeast. And Rachel, I know, and that's why we started to see more, more and more places being able to do loggers because now we have this technology that allows craft brewers to make a logger with a new kind of method so rachel i know at pilot you all do 
a lot mm -hmm. of loggers using high pressure logger yeast. So tell yeah. us about how that works. Yeah, we actually have our first non-pressure high logger yeast beer in the tank right now. And it's been there for about a month. <laughs> but we really wanted to do it. But yeah, so high pressure lager yeast, we're talking about a strain that could be fermented under pressure. Um, and it's typically under one bar, which is about right at like 14 PSI is about where we ferment. And we ferment it at 66 degrees. And what happens is that the pressure being kept on the beer is preventing all these esters and phenols from excreting out um, of the yeast cells that would normally happen at a higher temperature, right? Because we're talking about 66. We're not talking about 50 or, or 52. So this is like what we would do for our coal shale strain. We would ferment um, at 66. For our IPA, we'd ferment at like 68 and go up a little bit after that. So not a huge difference. But doing it under the pressure allows us to to produce it a lot quicker and very clean. So we typically, if you're really on top of fermentation and kind of like raising that temperature up as the gravity drops, we can typically get a cleaned up product in about 10 to 12 days and then spend about another week lagering it. We're also lagering it um, under pressure, under that same 14 okay. PSI to keep again, everything pressure pushing down on everything, kind of like clearing it up faster. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of maturation cleanup has already happened because of this high this high temperature that we've been fermenting at. So you don't need as much time for that cleanup of diacetyl acid halide that you might need with a regular strain. Um, yeah, it's super great. You could do it on a home brew scale too. They have uh, like, obviously at the brewery, we have kind of these really big valves that go on the side of the tank that's made for, it's called a spunning valve, but you can get spunning valves that go on corny kegs mm -hmm. and they're smaller and they're way more affordable and it will ferment. You need to do it in a vessel that can close and be pressurized, hence a corny keg. Um, you can't do it on a cardboy, a carboy or like a plastic fermenter or anything. But if you, or if you have a nice conical fermenter, you can do that as well. But um, yeah, it's a very fast way to do it. You don't need to keep like a chiller in your house, like, or you don't need to have like the big icebox to keep your lager beer in. You do need to lager it for a week. So you still have that, but it's just a week. It's not um, three weeks. Right. So. And the, the spunning valve is to release excess pressure. Yes, exactly. Correct? So you set the spunning valve at, to release at, at that 14 PSI mark. And as soon as it reaches it, it will release it just to enough where it's like to stabilize. To yeah, yeah. Not to like drop everything. And then it will just do that on its own for you, which is what you need. You have to, like, you can't sit there and up all night and do it yourself. You right. know? And that would also be highly dangerous. Yes. Especially for home brewers. And don't try to high pressure lager your beers in a, in a corny cake without a spending valve, without no, knowing do what that. you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Just don't be like, I don't need that like you do. Um, but, you know, are a lot of breweries doing this? I don't really know. I feel like it's it's definitely not as common as using a regular lager string. I know that there's some strains out there that brewers are modern. I say a modern American craft breweries are using that are not high pressure that seem to go a little bit faster from what I've been told. Um, I think the like Augustiner strain from white labs can go a little faster. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know specifically. I am not all about that waiting life and have only used the high <laughs> pressure strain up until once like this a month ago, we decided we wanted to do a check dark lager, but when you use this high pressure lager string, these beers, you want, you're going to get a very dry out beer. It's going to be crisp and dried out. You can't really, you're, I mean, I don't know. I haven't really tried with the pitch rate. Maybe I could um, get it to finish sweeter, but I don't know enough right now at this point. So we used a check dark or a check lager string that for a minute at 52 um, took a diet, took it up to about 65 for VDK. We just crashed it or started lagering it like yesterday. Um, so it will do that for three weeks, but it cool. finished at 1013 and we needed to finish at that more higher finishing gravity to give that some of that residual sweetness and give that body to the beer. Right. That's what's appropriate for the style. So 
I'm excited. It's called Late Checkout. Hey, love I it. I love the name. <laughs> I love the name. The, the label's really cool too. We are going to enter it into World Beer Cup. We're super excited. Excellent. It's under international dark lager category, which is not the easiest because I'm not going against Czech, just Czech dark lagers. I'm also going right. against Munich Dunkel. But didn't have a ton of entries last year. This is how we mm-hmm. <laughs> decide on yeah. styles. Yep, right? we can definitely do some gaming on on the yeah. styles, except how that other entries? people do the same thing. And oh yeah, then, yeah, it's a game. Yeah, I've done that before um, for one of the breweries I used to work at, where I went through and analyzed like five years worth of entries and how each of them had changed over the years, and you definitely see a pattern, particularly in like the top quartile and the bottom quartile of what how people like, you know, you'll have 14 entries and some, you know, like just random historical category or something. And then the next year there'll be like 60. And it's because everybody was like, oh, last year there's only 14. (laughs) So yeah, there's a bit of, you can definitely do a bit of gaming with that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But other people do too. Oh, I know. I am well aware, but what are you going to do? You know? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, I mean, you, you make quality beer. Yeah. So you're always entering quality beer, but yeah, sometimes you can look at the styles and see like, all right, maybe this year I get really good at brewing this one style. Yeah. So yeah, there's a little um, insider tips from people who enter competitions with beers that you can look at. Yeah. And I think that is, we've talked a lot about lager. I know. This lager, is a lager, 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 lager. episode. Lager. Yeah, and I, I'm, even, I'm even wearing my, this is actually a new sweatshirt from Halfway Crooks, their iconic lager sweatshirt, because this is my old sweatshirt, um, has a pizza sauce stain on it. So it's like a house shirt and it is one of three shirts I own that say lager and they all have pizza sauce stains in this same spot. Lager and pizza go all together. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like Not I, your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole, yeah, I'm a whole vibe with lager and pizza. So thank you everyone for listening. You can find us on social media at False Bottom Girls at Instagram and Facebook, or you can email us falsebottomgirls at gmail.com or you can visit our website, falsebottomgirls.com. <laughs> what did you say? I said, please stick to those options. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, unless you have a weird option, then yeah, I'm not kidding. Don't stalk me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Don't show up at an exam and ask the control taster to make your favorite style of beer again, please. Oh, sure. zing! <laughs> this has been False Bottom Girls, and we make the brewing world go round. <laughs> <laughs>